0: three, two, one. Welcome to the David the dog trainer podcast episode 83. Today, we are joined by Whitney of Sage's way dog training. Let's go ahead and get her pulled up. The awkward beginning. Yeah. We're almost there something there oh. it is hello hey can you hear us
1: yes can you oh. hear me
0: yes we can Give me one second let me get your volume up a little bit here all right how are you good how are you wonderful it's nice to uh officially meet you we've uh obviously known yeah. of you for a little while now um but I don't we haven't had a whole ton of interaction so far so i'm super excited to get into some uh Conversations and stuff here. This is Josh, my uh, co-podcaster. Hello, he's here to talk dogs. Hello, co Do all that co- kind of fun stuff.
1: Co-podcaster.
0: <laughs> co-podcaster. All right, good stuff. All right, Whitney. Yeah. Well, um, let's let's get right into stuff here. So, why don't you go ahead and kind of introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your company, what you do, all that good stuff. I'm Whitney, dog trainer in. Uh, San Antonio
1: now. I just moved here like a year ago. I'm not sure if I'm going to stay here that much longer. It's too hot. (laughs) (laughs) I said I I wasn't allowed to move again, but this heat is killer. Um, I run a dog training business called Sage's Way Dog Training, which I named after my dog Sage, who's 10 now. I have uh, two other dogs, Angel and Javelin. And, um, yeah, I specialize in training pet dogs, any, any and all of the problems. And, um, yeah,
0: (laughs) that's awesome. Where did you, where'd you move from? You said you're in San Antonio right now. Where were you at before that?
1: I was last in Maryland, Maryland. Uh, yeah, I was in Maryland, Southern Maryland, and then well, right before I moved here, I went to go and live with my mentor for, like, three months in Washington State, and then and then I moved here.
0: That's awesome. Really cool. Yeah, all of your, uh, like, pictures and videos and stuff like that look like you're just in, like, the most beautiful scenic of areas ever. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. We've been traveling a lot, yeah. And now I'm in Texas. I don't know what... Ugh. I, I have family here, and I thought like this is where I kind of wanted to plant and create a home base, but
0: yeah, that's a little that might change. (laughs) I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could live somewhere with that much heat all the time. We were just talking about it like thirty minutes ago. It's like the most perfect summer day here right now it's like 75 76 sunny not a cloud in the sky and i'm like i just want it to be like that all the time and then slowly transition to fall and stop right before it hits winter yeah and just go back yeah you guys are in the the freezing area it gets pretty chilly up here that's for sure yeah well i mean going yeah from, from I don't... going from maryland to washington <laughs> <laughs> then to Texas, that was like the yeah. complete like opposite. <laughs> yeah, Yeah. that's
1: yeah, awesome. yeah, cool.
0: yeah.
1: I like I said, I said I was not gonna move. I said you have to stay because I've moved probably like six times in the last seven years. A lot like just chasing dog training, what who I want to be around or who I want to learn from, and and so I thought, and I thought I I'd seen the mountains. I was like, I can just. I don't need it anymore and now no. I I'm still I'm still like shaking at my boots, ready
0: to go. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, cool. Well, I mean, so a lot of how I found out about you in the first place is a large chunk of both past staff members and current staff members, like really, really love the content you're putting out. And they kind of put me on to you in the first place, and then we've had a handful of little DM interactions back and forth and stuff like that. Um, And, you know, uh, when I had originally reached out about um, having you on the podcast is when I really started kind of deep diving into some of the content you're putting out. And you have such such a way of, like, articulating things, and I feel like showing a different side of the dog training where it's like it's a dog training page you have put out, but it's it's also like, it's also this personal page where you share a lot of kind of your emotions involved in the dog training process and towards your dogs and how you want to work with them and and all of that kind of stuff. And it's, it's really, really inspiring stuff. And I think that's why you've uh, been able to develop such a great, um, you know, fan base or whatever you want to call it uh, at this point, obviously. How did you get started in things? I think I saw, I have a note here, um, I believe sage your dog you got it like three or four weeks old is that correct?
1: yeah yeah uh yeah so ten years ago when I got her i was I was in a pretty uh, yet another rock bottom in my life sure. just not doing well at all uh, and um and then I got her and I really started shifting my life she got me back into just being outside where I love to be rather than doing things I don't need to do inside or with the wrong friends and, you know, that kind of stuff. And she just, I don't know, she brought me back to life. I became super, I was a, I was pretty into dogs before her, uh, but once I got her, I got super obsessed with her and, and learning about her, I started to really pair learning about dog behavior and what's good for a dog's health and I was like oh dang that's actually really good for me too and so many different correlations and the psych like just the basic behavior science of dogs can just go straight over to a human and I was needing that kind of like help myself so but I didn't really care to look for it for myself but I was looking for it for her and I just I don't know, I became obsessed with her. I wanted to figure out how I could get her to live as long as she possibly could. And I just I wanted to I wanted to do stuff with her. I wanted to I just wanted to, my my end goal was I, I want to be able to take her every everywhere with me. And at the time I was just I was a waitress and uh and yeah, I couldn't bring her there. So
0: <laughs> and
1: <laughs> and I just, and I just I kept becoming more diving into the dog stuff, and then I was like, oh, there's dog trainers out there. I didn't know there were dog trainers, <laughs> and so then I was like, that's it. That's what I was going to do, and uh, and then I, 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 I moved to Maryland because my mom was up there, and I moved in with her. I was like, hey, I want to chase this dog training thing. Can you, can you help me? with some time and financial stability with not having like rent and stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. and let me chase this. And she was like, Oh, here we go. Pretty much (laughs) because I was a mess for quite some time before that. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, she, she let me do that. And then I just found some, a dog trainer who was willing to teach me and he, he ended up being the perfect guy. He ended up, starting with my passion towards the working dog stuff or at least sport dog stuff. I'm with my puppy Javelin. He's 11 month old. My first Malinois. Um, and we're doing Mondial ring now, but the guy who first taught me, he, the very first day I go out to learn from him, he was like, Hey, you want to get bit by my dog? And I was like, what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then
1: he brings out this giant, uh, sh- shepherd from like, uh, i don't imported from whoever wherever um and then i got bit by him put on a sleeve and got bit by him and then i had a full a whole new passion and and i was super into that and so i've been i've that's been like my side thing since since then which was like almost eight years ago now and so it was pet stuff and then on the side we were playing with that and he he helped me along the way for a long time, and then brains dropped from him. Started learning from doing online courses, all that I could find. I ended up going to different internships here and there, and just kept. I uh, kept the obsession. It just kept going for a long time. And now, now that I have javelin, I kind of did reach like a with the pet dogs. It was getting a little uh, that bit it stagnant at my obsession had kind of faded a little. I well, not that I don't think that there's more for me to learn. There is always, but,
0: sure.
1: um, there wasn't as much for me to obsess on. I, I've watched almost everything. Uh, and then the sports stuff. Now I have this new, this new venture to, to obsess on and I'm obsessed on it for sure. I'm, I'm driving to California to go, and um work with another trainer out there and do some Mondio ring stuff and set some what he had already started foundations and continue that mm-hmm. and for Mondio ring and stay there for like a month and a half i just got a little camper so we're going to take some more cool adventure photos <laughs> oh, <yeah>. no, that's <laughs> and cool. go out in the middle of nowhere yeah um plus be out there
0: yeah but, yeah, yeah. Is uh, Mondio Ring the discipline that in the working dog sport that you do?
1: Yeah, that's what I I wasn't. I was going to be French Ring, Mm -hmm. and then, um, but then, but then uh, I met the guy I'm going to work with now, and started seeing more in that, and I I fell in love with that, and so we decided to go with Mondio Ring.
0: Yeah. Mondio is a lot of fun. I like the ever-changing aspect of it. It's a little less rigid than some of the other ones, you know. Like in French, yeah, I know, like that's... the thing that always blew my mind about it was like how precise like the starts to every single uh exercise like needed to be and stuff. And where in Mondio it's basically just yeah, like, get your dog to stop for a second, cue him up and like get going. <laughs> so um Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um that's cool. So um it's funny. I was just like taking a couple notes down here while you were talking. Like we had a lot of similarities as far as when we got started where I, I remember same deal. I got my first dog. I started getting really into like working with her and stuff because I didn't have any experience with dogs. And the first time I really had this realization that it's like, wow, like dog trainers is like a job. Like that's like a thing that you can go out and do. It, it like totally, <laughs> totally blew my mind. Um, and same deal. When I started yeah. working for the first guy, it was the same deal. I think like day one or day two going there he had like an old like shuts and sleeve or something like that. And he's like, Hey, you want to work on a bark and hold with my dog? And I was like, uh, sure. Then <laughs> <And laughs> no, I just have this dog barreling at me, like barking in my face. I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, very cool. So, cool. Um, you mentioned a few things here. So um, obviously like in the pet dog world, like a lot of the reason why I see a lot of like higher level trainers, like branch into the working dog stuff is because the pet dog world can get very stagnant sometimes, you know, like it's when you get into the basic training of them, because nothing has to be super complex or anything. I think you, you can easily fall into this where it becomes like, so mindless. Like I'll even catch myself sometimes if I have like a couple of months where I'm doing more lessons than others, um, where, you know, I could tell, like, I'm just going through this like routine, you know what I mean? Um, so I totally get that. So how do you, so the working dog aspect kind of scratches that itch for you. Um, of continuing to learn and stuff, but what do you think is something that like you found yourself doing that keeps your drive for the pet dog stuff? Cause that obviously is what I'm assuming is like paying the bills and stuff. And, uh, obviously the aspect of like helping owners and stuff, uh, is a big part of the dog training. How do you, how do you keep that drive for that stuff? As opposed to getting too far into what I see a lot of working dog people or like crossover trainers or whatever you want to call it, do of like, they just go all out with the working dog stuff and get a little jaded with the pet dog stuff. <laughs> Um,
1: well, I don't know. I guess what comes to my head first is uh, I, before I got, I knew I wanted to get a Malinois for a long time. I just, I didn't want to get one when I was even, if I even had a single thought that I wasn't prepared enough, because I'm I'm now that I have a Malinois, like, I'm like, gosh, how, how did I live without one for so long? But if I, two years ago, even if, cause I've been preparing hard for it. If I even two years ago, got one, I would have been screwed. Like it wouldn't have been as fun because it takes really being prepared. I know I would have like been so frustrated, but, um, when I started getting some of the first, uh, pet trainers I kind of learned from, they didn't, they, they were like, "Oh, well, that fancy stuff is, is useless, which I, I know pet dogs don't need fancy stuff. Some pet owners don't want it. And so I didn't even look at it. So I guess, where am I going? So I started with all of the pet dogs, seeing how far, even though the owners didn't really want that didn't need focused healing or didn't need quick downs and all of that stuff. I started practicing with every single client dog that I had. How far can I get this dog to, to be when it comes to precision mm-hmm. and, uh, and active working. Um, and cause I know like back in the day with Sage three, I got her at two weeks old. Like you saw uh, and genetic wise, she's, She's not well, and she's probably one of the biggest – even though I didn't become a dog trainer because I was looking for help from her, she was a freaking – she's still like the best, worst dog I've ever ever worked <laughs> with. And so she had – but she also has lots of – anyway, so I, I kind of had the mindset that I don't like now that people have of it's all in how you raise them. Like I can make this Beagle an IPO Schutzen or a French ring dog. I had that kind of mindset with Sage. So I was like, I can take her and do all of this stuff with her that anybody can do with a Malinois. I thought that like, I, I really, really thought that. So I worked really hard and I really, I think we all, before we came dog trainers had those thoughts that we try to help, pet owners, not have now a lot of different little thoughts. Um, but, uh, so I was always working really hard to, to get, I had that mindset of, I can take this dog as far as you can take your Malinois, blah, blah, blah. I know we can't now today, but, but I still kept up with trying. And so I think, I guess, the answer to the question is of keeping motivated with the pet dogs is seeing how far I can, I can get them, uh, precision wise and, and, and pretty, pretty work, active work. Yeah. Um, I don't know No, that something I need to do more often is, is maybe take, take more breaks. Uh, I do work. I'm, it's only me running my business and I don't ever, I do the whole, work seven months straight no days off and i think that's one thing that could actually help uh my drive towards it a lot better with pet dogs but i don't know i think that's that's no i think it's i think it's my passion is all intertwined with the pet dogs too even though even if the working stuff
0: yes I, I, I think yeah. that completely makes sense. Um, so, y- you know, it's funny because like you were talking in like the it's all in how you raise them thing. And that's it's such a catch 22 sometimes because it's like we know that's not 100 percent accurate, obviously. Right. But if you get too deep down the rabbit hole of like, well, genetics controls everything, it's like then you severely can sometimes mentally limit yourself and your clients from growing past the issues they're having and then you fall into this rut of like you know we start just accepting certain fates of like well this is always going to be this way this is always going to be this way and you start making excuses almost you know so i really actually like your answer to that question because it's like this keen awareness of like we know that there's genetics at play with all this kind of stuff right and we know most of the dogs that come to us for pet dog training are going to have a lot of genetic limitations with certain things as far as how motivated they're going to be, how flashy they're going to look, how precise they're going to be with the things that we're teaching them. But in that working dog mindset of, like, we know how to create more drive, we know how to create more precision, this, that, how far can we get these certain genetic limitations to show people, even through all this genetic stuff, your dog is capable of so much more than you think. You know what I mean? And I think that's a really awesome way that you explain that. Um, very cool. Like, um, so, so, I like
1: that. I like that, uh, reminder too Of definitely of, uh, not getting lost in the, not getting lost in, in the genetics is sure. at, not too lost in the genetic hole.
0: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. For sure.
1: Definitely got to always keep a balance there yeah. for sure.
0: Super cool. So, okay. So I, I want to talk a little bit about, so the getting, obviously getting sage at three weeks thing, like obviously that's, you know, that's crazy, right? Like, um, obviously yeah. there's people out there, like <laughs> I know people that have bred dogs and like you see three week old puppies, four week old puppies and stuff like that. Um, but you know, you get into, you know, I know, I think, I, I think it's a state by state thing. I know in the state of Ohio, like anything under eight weeks is like illegal, right? For somebody to try to sell a dog at and stuff like that. How did that wind up happening? And how do you think that getting to the genetic conversation versus like the nurture conversation, how do you think that impacted her behavior and her disposition and stuff like that past just the genetics.
1: Yeah. It's something I do like, I do wonder about because I mean, I know her, I know there's a part that her genetics aren't the best, like she's her fear. Um, but, but if I wouldn't, cause getting a dog in three weeks is terrible the most critical time of their life is, is missed. And now she's with me, a basket case at 10 years ago. Um, uh, and so, yeah. And I, I mean, I didn't, I, I, I was living in Texas and Dallas area waitressing and no, no, no. I wasn't even waitressing it. I was broke. I had no job. I was living with my friend's mom. And for some reason she let me get a dog. I said, I really want a dog. I really do. (laughs) I don't have a job. Sure. I don't have nothing to my aim.
0: Thought the and, responsibility <laughs> good for you.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it could have been the worst decision, but I'm sure she looks at it today like, wow, I'm sure glad I let her get that yeah, dog. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. So I looked on Craigslist, the most, uh, the best place to look for a dog. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, uh and there was a dog on there um i so i was really obsessed with wolves um before before getting into like dogs dogs um and the craigslist ad said it was a wolf dog Um, (laughs) one hundred dollars one (laughs) hundred dollars and i went to literally some like Piggly Wiggly store <laughs> in the middle of nowhere, and uh, at like 10 p.m. Literally, I because I wanted the dog now. I had no sense of waiting for things, um, and uh, and then I show up, and so I figure, and it was literally a Google photo of a wolf on her. <laughs> that was <the>
0: it's <laughs> like this is what you're like.
1: What at. was I thinking? <laughs> What was I thinking? Yeah, they're telling me the truth. Yeah, yeah. This is way cheaper than all the other wolf dogs I see online, but its <laughs> I just found a good deal. <laughs> That's and uh, I, I show up to that store, and it's a younger couple in an old four-door beat-up car with three car seats in the back, three children, babies in the back, and Sage in a clothes hamper uh, smells oh. like sh- straight-up body spray, like... <sighs> Some Jesus. some cringy body spray, and um, and and what I I didn't even think about asking what age the puppy is. They should be giving me the puppy at the right age, yeah. but they show up and I was like, oh gosh, she was like a hamster, and uh, I wasn't gonna give them back, give her back to them because yeah. that was a mess. It was kind of it was pretty sketchy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and they said they couldn't afford the. The uh, the formula, but where where was the mom? I don't know. I still to this day I don't know. Sure. Um, and uh, so I took her, and come to find out, I accidentally gave them one thirty, so they they got one thirty. But I'm sure I think even though I was broke, they probably <laughs> could have yeah. needed it. And um, so then I that was like I was already researching like crazy, just dogs how to take care of her even before them. But since then, I started. I was researching hard because I realized that three weeks was way too young for a dog to be leaving and, um, and rushed over to a store. She gave me Sage, gave me a hickey on my chin because she was like, just trying to find food. She's sucking on my chin. Oh my we found her some formula. Um, uh, and everything was, I don't know. I still, i ventured with her. I, I raised her pretty well, but, um, she has uh, fearful tendencies and also crazy dog aggression. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, uh, but her dog aggression too, she, I learned a lot through her because I used to, of course, take her to dog parks every single freaking day. And she was, she was the bully, but um, she was kind of a rough player. And I didn't think, oh, she's just rough. She's just kind of a that dog. And then but once she reached about two and a half, three between two and a half, probably three, three and a half years old, when she reached maturity, she she wasn't playing around anymore. And then her it turned into I was leaving the dog park almost in tears, wondering this why she's not getting better, because I thought this is where I was supposed to take her to be good with other dogs. And yeah. And so I learned I learned that uh, that maturity changes a lot which is a big thing that i learned for sure because yeah. it does it, like you know you hear from clients say all of a sudden yeah their whole life they had been doing this and then around two and a half years old they start they start doing things yeah um but yeah i i do often wonder like what because she did do some bite work too she has like this pretty cool drive for, for, uh, toys. Well, not so much toys, a lot for food, but she would do some bite work and she's a cool, different dog, but, um, (laughs) definitely we would have to tap into some defense to get her like pissed off to, to, to bite. Although she was still having fun. We didn't go too far with it to where she was like, just backed into a corner or anything. But, um, but we acted like we were She's possessive, a resource guarder kind of dog. So, but um, yeah, crazy dog aggression, fearful. But often I wonder how how much is genetic and how much is because yeah. of how she was raised and being taken away from her mom that her that young. Yeah,
0: that's like the forever conversation is like you get into dogs that people will get at, say, like two years old, three years old that have really serious behavioral issues, right? Whether it's, you know, aggression issues, resource guarding issues, fear based issues, stuff like that. And it's the constant question of, yeah, like if I owned this dog at eight weeks old and did everything 100 percent correct and this and that, like how much would actually be different? Yeah. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. that's the forever game. Yeah. I think every dog trainer plays when they encounter certain dogs. Good. Sorry.
1: You know, well, and then my, my brain also goes to, well, genetics are incredibly strong. They don't exactly change. They're born with them. Yeah, And, sure. like, like, it's hard to find balance like, the balance because, like, the genetics are strong. They should show through even after what has happened. Yep. But, of course, what has happened, it's only, it's what's going into their brain, what they're learning. And sure. So it's the only thing they know. Yeah. That's a battle in my brain for it's a
0: mind sure. twister for sure it's like yeah like how, how much it's like you know like and that's why it's funny when clients call me and they're like you know like well is training going to change my dog's personality i'm like no like who your dog is at their core is always going to be who they are yeah. it's what they learn yeah. to do with their genetic predisposition right like that's something that can be impacted obviously but they're still always going to be that dog right you know and i see yeah. a lot resource guarding in particular and it's something i have on, on the list here to discuss obviously is is a big one that I look at when you get into genetics and stuff, because that's one that, it, and listen, you know, I don't have any sort of freaking scientific evidence that this is the case, but most of the really serious resource garters that I've met, like display it. So freaking young. I mean like eight weeks old, 10 weeks old, 12 weeks old, stuff like that. And then as they hit maturity, whether it's like eight months, a year and a half, stuff like that, it gets like super overboard at that point. Right. Um, and I'm trying to remember where I was going with that. Um, that that's like the 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 prime example that gets me questioning again when I meet these dogs they're usually like you know a year and a half and stuff like that how much of that can you go in and like potentially work through at that point Um, or will still will it still always be the case you know Um, so it's interesting yeah I'm with you on that obviously Um, a lot of your posts you've made lately are, um, you know, discussing certain things like, uh, like aggressive looking play, right. And, and stuff like that. And, um, you know, understanding what you're watching with the dog and you've used, I think Sage as an example in a lot of the posts that I'm referring to. Um, where was the switch for you when you started realizing, okay, so obviously as trainers, we're cued to think, you know growling, uh mounting, these like quote unquote like dominant looking behavioral issues and stuff like that that you'll see while dogs are playing with each other like have to be stopped right away because they create problems and this and that. Where was your switch in starting to like understand that stuff a little bit better and not being so like concerned about it? Um I really love watching the work you do
1: because uh I I wouldn't say I do as much um rehabilitation with dogs who are Sage put a straight up fear in me. Sure. Uh I I've I've cuz I I just see what she's capable of and then I'm my I, my brain went to every dog can do this. Every dog is a killer. Every dog is sure. a freaking demon on the inside. Um <laughs> And so, for a long time, I was super afraid to to let any client dogs just hang out together. If I saw an inkling of, sure, sure. of, an, and I've definitely eased up on it. I love, I like, I think it's so cool what you do because, um, I, long story short, I guess I don't have the balls for it, <laughs> like, or I don't have as many. Um, I also don't have as many safe dogs. I only have
0: that's a big part for like. Yeah.
1: Three to four client dogs in at a time who all have problems and then I don't have yeah. I only have one like Angel is my good good dog but he also has to I have to watch certain it's not just always sure. he's perfect for it. Mm-hmm. I I use him a lot but um when did I I guess I don't know. Along with Sage putting a fear in me of just knowing what could happen, what what could potentially happen in the end of it all. Uh, I also still, I'm kind of a rough kind of person who like, even though she growls and things, even, I, I, I did start to learn that, I guess, okay. I, I got to know Sage better and that's, that's, um, I don't know when though, that kind of helped me. I realized that, just because sages sage has different growls like happy growls, angry growls I'm serious I'm not so serious and I didn't for a long time I was like don't growl like don't you're growling sure. back, don't do that yeah <laughs> but come to find out like she can't she's very vocal crazy crazy vocal the most vocal dog so any emotion she has she's she's talking in some sort of way mm-hmm. um, And so with her I also realized, that not every growl uh, was bad. Um, and I don't know. I, I guess with Angel, her and Angel, Angel's eight, she's 10. And I've had them both for that long. Angel, I got off Craigslist too, but we went, <laughs> He's, he, was he was also claimed Craigslist. to be a wolf dog. <laughs> I went, <laughs> I went for it again. Um, and, but he got, I got him at eight weeks, but they were they have been great together and they always had that kind of play and
0: I, I don't know, I never saw it as bad. I don't know. Sure. I don't know. No, that it makes complete yeah. sense. Like I, I think again learning the individual dog, aggression is such an interesting thing because I have this way broader perspective on it than a lot of people do. I think a lot of people look at like any sort of bite or growl or anything that looks scary is like aggression, right? And I've always defined aggression as like intent to actually (laughs) do harm. And I think in like 99.9% of situations, it's not that right now we can get into the debate of like, well, if a dog still bites somebody and injures somebody, is that still aggression? Or if a dog still bites another dog or kind of looks like they're going after him, is it aggression? Like, I don't know, but because I have that looser perspective on it and like I really only look at those like really serious like dog is attacking with intent to hurt this thing or this person or something like that I started looking at all of the rest of the displays of quote-unquote aggression and just realizing that they're just they're just the dog expressing themselves in different ways. And we could then have the conversation of like, is it appropriate? Is it not appropriate? This or that. But once I realized it was the dog just expressing themselves and expressing when they liked or disliked something no differently than we do as trainers to dogs, um, I started realizing that instead of looking to eliminate it altogether, can we just get the dog to realize that they could express themselves in the same way when they like or dislike something, but a little bit less intense. You know what I mean? Um, And yeah, Yeah. the, the conversation about having like neutral dogs to do it with is So essential. Like the, the only reason why I'm able to do it in a lot of cases is because we have so many dogs at our disposal. Cause even like when I first started getting into it, Vera, my pity was like my neutral dog that I used for all sorts of socialization and stuff like that. And I used her for every single lesson that I did, right? Like socialization all the time. Right. And even if you have the most bomb-proof dog, like, you have them in that scenario enough times, right, and they're going to start to just get over it. It's like, why do I have to be the dummy every <laughs> single time, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So that's the thing, too, is, you know, we, we, we have to be aware of, like, even on our social list, like our dogs that are the social dogs – like, we're not going to do it every single day with them, right? We're not going to do it uh, twice a day with them, stuff like that. We're going to rotate through them so they get, you know, all right, well, maybe you have to kind of help this dog learn how to play this one time, but the rest of the week you'll just have, like, fun play where it's like, you know, you could loosen up and have a good time and not have to worry about anything, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about so so another really interesting post that you made recently that I liked was you were talking about like possessive dogs and where and when it's problematic and obviously you were using your Malinois I think as an example where he was like thrashing on a toy and you went to go grab and he's like right and then you outed him off of it and it wasn't a big deal right so it, that was a that was an interesting one to me because I obviously one thousand percent agree with you I mean Vinny my Malinois like loves to possess his toys <laughs> and something we do as sport dog trainers that I think a lot of pet dog trainers don't understand is you want to leverage that possessiveness. Like, that's why like Ivan, if you're an Ivan fan, like he, his whole toy training uh, video is called the possession games. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, so how do we, equate- I like that one. Oh yeah. It's a great one. How do we equate that to the pet dog world? Right? Cause a lot of people look at it like, well, that's just a Malinois and they growl and grumble and get possessive over things you know, and, and that doesn't count or something like that. Like, how do you equate that to like, if you yeah. have, you know, uh, a, 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 just a pet dog or like, you know, uh, that's doing the same types of behaviors.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, so like they're going to have possession or not, I would say it's definitely a genetic kind of thing. And so some of the client dogs or pet dogs are going to have the, have that. And, uh, I, with resource guarding, I've kind of, it used to be like I, with pets or even with Sage, I, I would try really hard to, to, it was plain old aversives and which not that that doesn't intertwine today, but, uh, dang, where's, I'm trying to, they're either gonna they're gonna have it, but just showing the dog that it's it's they're not losing it if they have to let it go at some point. Like Javelin could if if I didn't do the proper foundations and because he he thinks out is like oh yeah I'm now yeah. I'm gonna wait and Get now it's gonna be thing. fun again yeah yeah, yeah yeah but that could have been the complete opposite with a different type of foundation setting. Sure. And he could have looked like a genetically unsound dog if, if it, if due to how I had raised it, cause he could have gotten mad. He could have seen that everybody was against him rather than, cause that possession is going to be there regardless that, that it's not going to get, we're not going to, I I think it's, it's definitely a genetic thing. We're not totally. Well, no, because then you go to, Some dogs show this type of resource guard, and because of how they're raised, sure. Uh, Like things things that I used to do with Sage, um, the dumb, dumb, dumb things. Like I used she because she's such a resource guarder. Like I would act like I was gonna steal her food, and she would show every single (laughs) tooth in her mouth, and I thought that was the funniest thing ever. Like the stupid TikTok virus, you know that I'm like, don't do that. But I did that. And like, I think, ah, I mean, I, my brain's going back and forth now with.
0: It's funny when you have these conversations when it does that, though. You know what I mean? Because it's like I could look at it from both perspectives, right? And it's like, well, yeah, like if they have the possessiveness, right? Like they're going to have the possessiveness. But again, getting back to it's not the genetic disposition that's the problem. It's what they do with that genetic disposition, right? But then it's like, well, if the dog is still growling but like controls it, like did they – do away with it or is it still there like i i completely understand where your brain is going with this uh it's it's so interesting right uh, but I, go ahead i think what um so i'm a big i'm a crazy
1: jordan peterson fan sure. uh, the clinical psychologist on oh, the- yeah. Controversy all over the place oh, with yeah. him. I think a lot of dog trainers like him. I, a lot of <laughs> dog love, trainers really,
0: I, really like him. I think he has a lot of perspectives that equate to the dog world very well because he's very binary with things. Yeah, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it helped me for me personally. His, his, his uh, lectures. I've listened to endless hours and hours. That's, and I think with yep. him to to really get a perspective on him, it takes actually
0: diving all
1: it. the way in, not yeah. just. Listening to a clip, just like with everything, you can't yes. just listen to one clip and go, Oh, I know what that dog trainer does. Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. Um, but um I don't know. One of the things he talks about is it, and I think that's actually what motivated or like inspired me to post that with Javelin is oh, there was a quote underneath it of Jordan Peterson's actually. That's that's what that video was quoted. Was it was there is because we're all uh, or like even dogs are all capable of um, i mean they have a loaded gun on their, on their head they are yep. a, a yep. little loaded gun they're all capable of of damage but it's it's just having control of it and so like but i think i think sometimes it gets harder to when a, to show some of the pet dogs sometimes i guess because of how they were raised in the past that Mm -hmm. it you'll still win even if you have to out it at this time and then then it just takes more repetitions of just getting the the uh the scenario played over and over of outing it and realizing that's just that's just how it is one of those like having self-control yeah but i don't know
0: but it's still being a winnable game yeah no, that's interesting. A a, yes. a kind of like analogy or whatever you want to call it that I've been using with clients a lot lately that I feel like I, ha- I had never really used much in the past is I started referring to like pretty much everything we're doing with dogs. Like we obviously know w- the goal is to kind of create a game, right? And whether it's this super positive game or just this game that you have to play or whatever it is, but the key is it has to be a winnable game to the dog, right? And if you equate it to... Resource guarding, right? If this game of toys and food and stuff like that is just this losing game the dog is constantly playing where there's so much stress involved in it and every time we try to get them to practice impulse control around it, Either it's, you know, the dog loses every time that that happens or they're never able to uh, figure out what it is that we actually expect out of them and stuff like that. They're never going to be able to get past that. But because your dog in that example, Javelin, is so confident in, listen, I may have this possessive tendency or genetic disposition for um, possessiveness, but I know that ultimately, you're not going to let me lose, right? I know that ultimately, whether I don't get this back right now or I get it back tomorrow or whatever it may be, I'm still ultimately going to win this game, right? And I think that's a a very important topic. And that's where you get into then the conversation of like confidence with dogs, right? Like, you know, we obviously... (laughs) everybody says like the, the solution to a lot of these things is the dog needs more confidence, right? But confidence can come from just confidence in the handler or confidence in the fact that they have the ability to win those games that we're presenting for them with toys, with life, with guests, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So again, really cool. I'm, I'm super into that. And I, I love that post when I saw it, I do remember there being a Jordan Peterson quote on it. (laughs) Um, yeah, but, uh, good.
1: I was having a talk with, my like very first mentor, mm-hmm. um, and because I was battling in my brain back and forth and back and forth of I don't want to. I didn't. It was hard because I wanted everything to be perfect with Javelin. I didn't want him to see that I was against him mm-hmm. and or or think that I was against him by making him out or making him do something he doesn't want to at some times and use. I wish I think I actually put it in my notes um, at some point, and uh, it was like he was like, "Well, look at the whole picture. Out of everything, everything is more so. He, your dog is—he's winning. He—it's everything is really good. He trusts you. So even if something you're making him do at this moment doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. the everything else weighs out, and he's—he doesn't have to really worried so much about about just this one little thing because everything else like everything else makes sense so he can actually just trust me that hey even if this doesn't make immediate sense to you mm-hmm. and you don't see if, the how the reward is going to come later it's okay because the whole picture is he trusts you and yeah. within the whole picture yep um i think that's a definitely with the resource guarding, it's not going to be you're winning in the moment, every moment, but with everything else we do with you, if that's all fair and, and I mean, within stress is going to happen within that too, but if at least everything is as a whole fair, at least fair, then at moments where they're unsure, they shouldn't have to worry per se, because uh, the whole picture will, I guess the whole picture definitely correlates to resource guarding, especially with Javelin, what I saw, because I didn't want to make him out it. I was like, I can't, like, uh, that's, but it became fun. But at times he was like, oh, I don't want to do that. And, yeah. but yeah.
0: Yeah. The
1: whole
0: the, the trust, trust conversation that's- is...
1: I don't, I don't like it because I can't put any sort of science behind it. Like what, how do you, yeah. how do you put, it's just one of those that we just have to trust in
0: Yeah. The most. Tr- mm-hmm. <laughs> trust in it. Like, yeah. I like that. No. And, and yeah. these are the types of conversations I like having because, you know, you could get into conversations with certain people. Like we've had other guests on and stuff like that who are very intelligent they they you know and you could have more of those like nuanced like scientific conversations about the dog training but like i feel like what we're doing right now is we're kind of just getting into like all of those like fluff variables that we try to avoid when we discuss the science behind dog training and get into really the human and canine like emotion behind a lot of it right and trust yeah. is such an interesting conversation in dog training then as well because that's another one that's so commonly misunderstood I think right trust I think in a lot of cases a lot of trainers or people will equate to just like making sure the dog never experiences anything scary and that you're always going to make everything fun and positive for them when we, we made a post the other day talking about like you know trust is uh helping your dog through seemingly something like helping your dog through like seemingly scary situations and getting them to realize there's nothing actually scary about it right and like that's obviously one aspect of building trust with dogs. Um, but it goes hand in hand with why is the dog being possessive or guarding something in the first place? Is because they don't have trust. They think something. They have this perceived sense of something bad or scary happening, which is that thing disappearing, right? Or um, you know them. You know, I don't know something bad happening involving those resources, where you get back to then, you know, raising dogs. I think so many people kind of do the opposite. They try to build trust with their dog by showing them all these positive things like socializing them so much at a young age and taking them all to the dog parks and having everybody pet their dog when they're out and about and stuff like that. But what actually happens is you reinforce that fear and kill the trust because your dog actually sees you consistently taking them into places where something scary actually does happen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's kind of, you know, another one of those interesting back and forths. So
1: trust is definitely a hard one. And I was actually just thinking of, uh, with, with what you said, when you're getting a, uh, not so good with dog, dog, better with dogs, just showing them that they can, they can, speak up for themselves. or sure. They can show those things, but just to a lesser degree. And, mm-hmm. and I think with Javelin, what I was able to do is he has possession mm-hmm. and I've just shown him like, yeah, you, you can have that. You can use it, like use it with all of your might as mm-hmm. much as you want. And then there's, and then there's just other, the other parts are just here too. Yep. Like it's, but you're not doing those things to, to harm. Yeah. I guess you're you're just doing them. It's a part of the game, mm-hmm. and then other parts involve outing the toy. But those aren't wrong to have, but just have control of them. Yeah, there we go again. <laughs> yeah, grab yeah. it. Cool. For yeah,
0: sure. the the socialization side anyway. of things is cool <laughs> because, like, the the concept of them like bringing it down a couple notches and like teaching them you can display yourself, but you don't need to do it as much. You know this is another one of those catch 22 things where it's like, you know, a lot of trainers out there look like it's like, we're just going to totally eliminate that. Right. We're going to totally suppress that and stuff. And what winds up happening is the dog just bottles it up and then explodes it in those situations where they can't avoid it. Right. Like in a social situation, you correct them every time they growl at another dog. And then suddenly they just like light up that other dog because they can't control it anymore when that dog's poking their buttons. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so, so by like, you know, a lot of what we'll see initially when we put dogs in those scenarios is like, we'll let them interact. And initially those intenses, those reactions are super intense. And I've had people come on before and like make comments like, oh, Um, you're just reinforcing the behavior by the dog by putting them in that situation and them growling and snapping at another dog really intensely and that other dog going away. And I was like, well, I kind of want to to some extent because I want them to feel confident that they can communicate when they're uncomfortable with something. But each time they do it then, they learn that if that first one was a level 10 intensity because they really thought they needed to use that level 10 intensity to get their point across, the next time they're going to be like, oh, that worked, let me try a level nine. And the next time a level eight. And And it kind of organically will drop off. But at some point, getting back to then the the corrections and suppression with some of those things, there are levels, right, that you do have to just correct, right? Like you can't let a dog just like fully attack and like (laughs) try to maul this dog whether they have a muzzle on or not right for the sake of teaching them you could communicate still so that's where you get into then use suppression a little bit to suppress it from that level 15 (laughs) to that level 10 so that they could start that process you know Mm -hmm. so it's cool um okay so uh, another thing I had on here so you had um, uh, some posts with a dog uh sasha it looked like it was like a human aggressive like pity mix or reactive or something like that uh was was like vi- the first video was like super reactive in the crate like snapping at the crate door stuff like that uh and you know you, you posted like an after I think you at the store you got the dog like a toy stuff like that super cool um when you when you get in dogs like that have you do you see Why do you feel like that behavior like in the like in the kennel is so intense, but then you get them out and they're so good. It was so funny, like in the clip, it's like the dog was going bananas, snapping at your hand, this, that, and you're (laughs) like 12 hours later, here we go. And you're just like, you're all like gloved up and like you had like all your clothes on and you're going to just get the dog out and the dog's fine. Yeah. We see that so much it with dogs. It's yeah. ridiculous. We have a German Shepherd in right now that's like identical to that. Like goes bananas when you go to walk up to that crate, but you get her out and she's just a big old weenie. <laughs> so
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I see it a lot too. Hers was man. That dog I'll never forget. Hers yeah. was, hers was quite. She was she she got me act nervous. She made me nervous. Um, but yeah, I mean even Sage sage will do have has that like we, i usually call calling it the barrier aggression it's like yeah i don't know i think it, i think there's resource resource i feel like resource guarding goes into it but mm-hmm. also that they have nowhere else to go so yeah. they can't they can't create space they can't i'm i'm coming into them and they have no and they don't like you of course and sure um that's the only other option they have. And, uh, but yeah, she, I mean, and then with her, it was as long as I didn't, uh, in, as long as I didn't engage with her, like in any kind of way, I was, I was good. Um, but yeah, uh, I think she just, it's that have no other, just like, um, with, uh, with dogs who are afraid of people and they're on leash, and then they people let people come up to 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 pet the dog that's afraid of people, and now they can't go anywhere, and so their only option is to fight fight defend themselves because yeah. there's no other, no other option. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I see the dogs who resource guard more will do that more have you seen that like it's a resource guarding thing too uh, along in there with it
0: yeah a little bit uh, i mean we'll definitely see it like if the dog is you know food aggressive or something if you're feeding them in the kennel they could start to develop an association with just the space you know um we've seen that before yeah. i had a client i worked with at a dog that resource guarded right and the resource guarding got so bad they just started feeding the dog in the garage just to like You know, basically bowl down. Here you go. Leave the dog in the garage, come back, let him in. But then over time, the dog started developing this like guarding of the garage just as a whole, you know. So I think that that can just like slowly expand to other things. But I, I would say, I mean, I would say you're right, obviously, like they're, they're back against a the wall. They're, they're obviously in most cases, the reason why when you get them out, they're so freaking terrified and like weenies is because, <laughs> because they're, they're so scared to begin with. So when they're in the kennel and they can't create that distance and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's where you just see it like turn into that, like level 11 intensity. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you said that. Yeah, dog... I, had, I had to go, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, no. I was just going to say, you said like, obviously that dog, uh, you learned a lot from, you said that dog, like, like made you nervous with stuff. What, um, what were some of your bigger, like learning hurdles with that dog? Or like, do you feel like that dog taught you any particular things?
1: Um, uh, well, I had usually the dogs who look like her aren't, I'm usually like, you're just a big wuss. Yeah. Uh, like you said, because they are, I mean, she was too, but she was, yeah, she was also not a big wuss at the same time.
0: She was very, um,
1: yeah, and and because, and usually I don't (laughs) even, a lot of times, a lot of the time, I don't need, I don't have the owners put a muzzle on them when they go to put them in the crate because I don't, we don't need that, but with her, I was. I even had called my mentor with this dog. <laughs> yeah. I was like, shit, I didn't put a muzzle on this dog. And I am i don't know about getting this dog out. She's, yeah. she's no freaking joke. She, she didn't sleep. She's definitely extremely terrified. But yeah. I, I even talked with my mentor about her. This is another rabbit hole that my brain goes to. Of I think also because of Jordan, what I've learned with Jordan Peterson and just that, i don't know it seemed like she liked being it was not that it was fun for her it was definitely a fear response but also i think she it seemed like she liked to to be it was kind of fulfilling to her it's to super self-reinforcing
0: be yeah, yeah yeah super self-reinforcing yeah it scratches I, that itch of it, like it was they, they have no confidence, right? And that's the one thing where I can control this, right? By like having this intense outward display, right? I can make this person go away. I can make that dog away. And it's the one area of their life they feel like they have control over. You know what I mean? that's why, I mean, that's why you see them just get just so aroused and then tack on like all of, I think there's like some studies and stuff of like the the hormones and adrenaline that kicks in and stuff like that. How like some people are like adrenaline junkies, like some dogs are like adrenaline junkies as well, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. The look in their eyes, just a different kind of look. Yeah. Uh, but so I was wishing I had, thank goodness I did my usual, i at least had a leash on her so i didn't have to get there was i was not gonna be able to get a leash on that dog um because it took me it took me two weeks to get a to be able to put something on her yeah like it i had to leave a leash on her for a long time safe safe or not uh yeah that's what i had to do um because i there was no putting a leash on her i had to i did to at least here, connected here. And this, sure. this, I, it took a long time. And, uh, but, um, um, and I mean, at the end of the day, things just still went the same, just a heck of a lot slower. I just, yeah. uh, from, from my mentor, I, the one in Washington, she, she helped me with she's definitely worked with far more extreme, more in numbers than I have. And um she helped me with uh putting a leash connected to something else and me having one here so that, yeah, like that I could keep myself them. safe. Yep. Yeah. Um but uh I don't know with her, it's I I don't know. I don't know what if I learned something different, really, or it's just like it was just it was a, just an experience to remember more so yeah. than more so than anything, I guess, because uh, she wasn't pr- particularly different. She just yeah. she had more more meaning behind what she was talking about. She wasn't afraid. I I usually I'm like, ah, yeah, you're, you're, you're joking. (laughs) (laughs) You silly goose. (laughs) Uh, But with her, I, I, I was very careful with every movement. I didn't have a muzzle. So it was the no muzzle thing was the hardest part because Mm -hmm. that I had to, I think the one thing I did strengthen was like, not, Cause dogs know the moment you have a second of doubt in your head and that's yep, when they yep. go, it's like, yep. you have to. So that's why I waited so long because I was still nervous and I waited super long to her until I was, I had the, the balls to go ahead and just walk and, and not uh, hesitate, not yep. take a split second of, Oh, did I, I couldn't do that with her because yep. then I, I was going to be in a rodeo. <laughs> um...
0: <laughs> yeah. 100 percent
1: and uh so i think she just it was good practice for um that of just committing to your thought whether you think whether you may second guess it or not just go with it or else she's gonna know
0: yeah the the no muzzle thing is interesting like you know, obviously, we've run into some situations like that before, where a client drops off a dog, and like you don't think they're going to be that bad, and you know, you get them in a kennel. Yeah, and then that's you go, what it was. With her. You go back like an hour later to go get them out, and it's like, whoa, like where <laughs> did this come from? <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, that's what
1: it was. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. So, uh, I remember a, a while ago, um, maybe like like eight or nine years ago, I was talking with um Blake from Dream Come True Canine. I did like a like a phone consult with him or something. And we were talking about like working with aggressive dogs and stuff. And he had for a while this like, this like no muzzle policy that he liked, right? Which obviously I, I think we all know is like, like you need them, right? Like they're, they're very important for keeping everybody safe, right? Especially when you're in like a kennel situation and stuff like that. But his, his reasoning behind, and I don't want to, I don't want to speak too much for him here, obviously, but like his general reason was like, he liked working with the aggressive dogs without the muzzle because he felt like it kept him more keenly aware of the, The body language, not pushing too much, understanding how to fine-tune his skills better when working with those dogs, which I think the mentality behind it is super good. You know what I mean? Like I know, um, like you were saying, whether it was a learning experience or not, you had to kind of commit to what you were doing a little bit more. You probably had to take a step back and think about everything you were going to do before you actually did it, you know, Mm -hmm. as opposed to acting so, like, irrationally because it's like, well, nothing's actually going to happen because I have a muzzle on. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. And That's, and I think that was interesting because th- the times uh, I've run into dogs like that, too, before where it's like, oh, shit, like I got to get this dog out of the kennel or, <laughs> you know, I got to intake this dog. And like we've had situations with like super aggressive dogs that the owner just wasn't able to get the muzzle. Like the dog wouldn't let the owner do it. And it's like, well, we got to figure something out here, you know, um, and yeah, those I think are the really important ones where you know. It forces you to just take a step back and just think before you start doing stuff. You know, in my in my case, like we have obviously a staff and we have you know uh, kennel workers and trainers and this and that. In any dog bites we've ever had, like amongst the staff before in the past, almost every single one of them was a result of just like not having that skill finally developed yet. Of just like taking a step back and like thinking two steps ahead of what you're about to do before you go to do it. You know what I mean, and and that is such an essential skill for trainers to learn. And I, I don't know if you could really learn that skill without being in that position. You know what I mean? Because like, no matter what, if you got the safety net on, right? If you got that parachute on, like, you're always going to have a little bit more of a loose tendency with you, which is good for helping the dog, but bad from you know refining your skills and your understanding of some of those things. Mm -hmm. So.
1: Yeah, and really paying attention to the dog yeah. rather than being two steps ahead. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I – it's kind of – I I kind of am an adrenaline junkie myself, I guess. And I like – I mean, I loved having her. I was like, oh, this sure. this is a good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I, I want – I like those experiences. Yeah. I, I want those experiences. I mean, I don't want every dog to be aggressive. You know? yeah. I. It, but um yeah i like cuz it is it challenges it's not like just yeah. every other dog it yep. challenges my capabilities it challenges how skilled am i really yep. at at working with the dog truly
0: yeah uh yeah it's it's like a personal uh, you know like itch of like you know it satisfies the like the ego of like am i good enough to work through these things right and it also you know i think I'm an adrenaline junkie for back to one of the conversations we were having at the beginning for seeing how far we could take some of these dogs, you know, and like pushing the envelope of what a lot of people think is really possible with their dog. Or especially when we get the ones where they've been to a couple other trainers before and the other trainers, even if they're competent are like, oh, well, like you're not going to get any further than this. This is always going to be there, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, well, is it though? (laughs) Now you're really
1: motivated. Oh yeah.
0: So... (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> very cool. Um, so, who? So, you've mentioned like your mentor a couple of times. Who were some of the people that you were uh, learned from? Or were really impactful for you, like at the beginning?
1: Um, my probably biggest impact on me, who I went and stayed with right before I moved to Texas. I finally got to stay. I'd learned. I'd spoken with her phone or cons virtual. Yep consults and studied her work and um since the very beginning i found some article and it just like hit home like crazy i just i didn't even know what i know now but that it was it just i don't even know what the article was about but anyways that's how i found her online i was just searching around and i found that and uh it's megan Carnes, the collard scholar oh
0: yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm very familiar with it, megan yeah, I um, she used
1: to do french, french training Yeah, back in the day, she just started a a, a dog trainer school. So yeah. she just got this property, a really cool property, a really cool facility, and now she's yeah. now she's working with rescues and trying to help them um, be better at running that. Yeah, in a better way. Yeah. Um, knowing dogs better, giving them to the right homes instead of cattle dog that somebody wants a couch dog you know that kind of stuff and and then she's doing a with those rescue dogs that they're holding um each trainer that comes to her training trainer be a come a dog trainer program they work with the rescue dogs so now these rescue dogs are getting work before they get homed and yeah but yeah her um that's a cool
0: uh, system that she has in place with uh, that with a with the rescue dogs and having the shadows come in and work with them that's that sounds like a really cool system
1: yeah Yeah, she's um, she's most I've never really seen uh, um, counter conditioning using all positive techniques in the way that she does in such a strategic yeah because before it was like, I would watch all positive. Cause I like, or all positive, quote unquote, all positive. Mm-hmm. Um, I like diving into that stuff, <laughs> like all food work. Um, and, and, but a lot of the time when I'm watching it, I don't see the strategy or, um, I don't see behind it, but with hers, uh, I, it's really freaking cool. I learned a heck of a lot on that. And, um, she's also, like, I would, I was battling with Sage, um, years ago. She's actually the only, Sage is the only dog I've been bit by <laughs> out of, out of all of these yeah. flying dogs in the last seven years. Uh, Sage is the only dog I've been bit by mostly because I kind of like, I went, uh, it was on me a lot, um, but but, and I'm also grateful because I, it was she wasn't in the wrong. Yeah, at, you know what I mean. Uh, but um, so and I was I don't know. Her and I have Sage and I have butt heads and and uh, talking with her helped Sage and I and really kind of even out and have a better relationship and yeah 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 she's she's freaking she's freaking awesome
0: that's cool yeah so yeah. my experience with her is this was back in 2017, maybe? Somewhere around there. I think I think it was 2017. I was asked to go speak at a seminar in Nashville for Tammy McLeod, who's like a IGP trainer and stuff, and she does a lot of like border collie stuff. And it was like a trainer's immersion seminar, and she had like different trainers doing presentations throughout the weekend that it was. And um, Megan did a virtual one um, on... She's got a very she got a very strong business sense to her, right? So she did like an entire one on, I guess she used to she used to run and operate and own like a daycare and boarding kennel, right? For a while, that was like the thing that actually she got started in and then ultimately wound up growing that and selling just her client list for, I think it was like $250,000 or something like that. Um, and she was like presenting on like just this concept of, of growing her uh, daycare and boarding kennel and and where she put her uh, emphasis on and stuff if I, if I remember correctly again it's been a while um, but um, it was a, it was a really interesting conversation and and I also remember she was one of the first people a while ago that really started blogging a lot like you said you, you stumbled upon an article she has a yep. ton of freaking blog posts and she's got a way with words, you know? Like she's you could tell yeah. certain people have different mediums that are like more for them than others. Like she is a she is a writer, you could tell, man. Like she writes some very interesting stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She tells stories. And I think yeah. a long time ago I read on when you're writing to not say you, to not say them, sure. and yeah. more so you. And she does that. Like she tells stories of of her experiences and then intertwines and yeah but yeah yeah i i kind of well i was thinking the other see i'm not business savvy at all like i my business could be taken to (laughs) a different level but i don't take it there because i just that's not sure and i haven't found the help to get yeah that's another but anyways i suck at it but i was thinking the other day like of reaching people more, um, and when when people go to search dog training things, they go to Google and they search, and they're gonna find articles. Yeah. And so, like, I was thinking about how, like, I mean, if I like, that would be a good thing to do because I, I mean, social. I mean, our Instagrams and my TikTok blew up, and that's what's honestly helped me be able to move from here to there and there it and still work because of yeah. freaking that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I always say it's it's so funny that TikTok was the best business decision I ever made. Wild. Um, Yeah. But like, uh, I don't know. She had a she had a, she had a a good approach for sure. Because I mean, I was just thinking about you, you Google things and articles are what people are going to go to. Like, I don't know. I don't know, random. I want to start writing some articles myself. but I, we'll I
0: 100% think you should. I think, you know, again, as I was kind of like deep diving the last week or so into like some of the content you were putting out, like the interesting thing is, is I feel like, I, you know, you you do a lot of videos and stuff like that, but a lot of your stuff is you conveying a story through a photo, right? Like you, you post a photo and then you have this, you have kind of that way with words as well. And I think that's probably why you've gained so much traction on Instagram and stuff like that is because you, you could get your message across so well through that, you know? Um, And I I think that'd be a great idea. Yeah, you're 100% correct. I mean, like when people search things, like, you know, that's the kind of stuff that pops up. And additionally, like what we've been trying to do with our YouTube channel lately, as we've been creating captions and stuff, is I heard like a, it was like a Gary Vee video and like a month ago or something like that. And he's talking about how like, you know, YouTube is the second biggest search engine in the world, right behind Google. Right. So like when you're making your videos, you know, start thinking like what kind of shit is people searching like in the dog world? You know what I mean? Yeah. So
1: I, the other i saw the other day too he said uh youtube shorts those are, are massive what he's doing right now yeah and i was like oh crap i started yeah. but i didn't i that's on my list w- for yeah. sure <laughs> we uh,
0: we officially like a week ago made the switch to like emphasizing the the youtube shorts and then the facebook reels are massive right now um. Yeah, they have are like they? a new new feature where yeah. you can post reels like through Facebook, and those are those have been those have been our cool. most viewed pieces of content. Um, like anywhere we post it, Facebook reels has been the the highest view counts so far. So super interesting. It
1: actually makes sense. Yeah.
0: yeah. Cool. Um. All right. Uh. So one last question here that I, I guess kind of ties into the rest of the stuff. So. In the last couple days, we you know, we've made a, a few different posts, like before and after stuff, this, that, and, and you know, we've been having a lot of people comment, like, this is so awesome, and, and then, you know, talking about, like, this overarching concept, right, of, like, um, no bad dogs, right? And, like, you can get into, like, the Tom Davis slogan that he has and stuff, but I think broader than that, this concept of no bad dogs, right? What does that what does that mean to you, you know, and, and how do you, how do you relate to that? Or do you agree with that? Or, or, you know, where are you at with that?
1: Um, I like what the no bad dog saying is, but for me, I think where I think, um, with everything there's equal opposite truths mm-hmm. and my worry with that is it blinds people of that dogs aren't capable of biting they aren't capable of damage they aren't built with damage capabilities yep. and that's like that's the thing i wish i could scream to the world the most that it's it's they're not just even humans, just like Jordan Peterson kind of says all the time, like we're all capable of evil. It's just having control of it. We're capable of doing anything in the right circumstances. And so I love the no bad dogs, what that is saying, but I, I, my thing, I think that's missing in a lot of pet owners uh, per, or uh, perception of dogs is that they're they don't think they're capable of of evil of not evil but yeah damage of bad (laughs) that's like yeah yeah like i mean yeah putting holes in another dog what is that are they evil or are they still good they're still good dogs not you know (laughs) what yeah like i get it but i don't I think that's why I love Jordan Peterson so much is he's able to express things like that in a way that doesn't, well, it does create um, defense in a lot of people yeah. depending on the subject <laughs> we're speaking of. But, uh, but how can, I always say, I wish Jordan Peterson could be a dog trainer so that he could do that same stuff with yeah, right. dogs. And because it's almost, there's no nice way to say, Hey, your dog is actually my dog people or
0: it might actually i don't know yeah you know what i'm saying i totally get it yeah i think the i think the underlying i i think the underlying we completely agree on this right like i like what it stands for you know what i mean i like that it stands for like listen even though your dog may do bad things they could still be a good dog you know what i mean the problem is right That dogs still all have the capability of being dogs, and a lot of the things that dogs do are, you know, especially when you get into the domestication of dogs, they are not, like, socially acceptable. They're bad things, right? Mm -hmm. They are capable of a lot of harm and a lot of bad, right? But that's because they're dogs. You know what I mean? And that doesn't make them a bad dog, but they're still capable of those bad things, right?
1: Yeah. I think in the same I, and maybe actually what I I think within my posts in the past, I haven't made as many more recently. I don't know. I've just kind of st- st- stumped on it or something, but is correlating how, because all the way back to the origin of how I started understanding Sage better, it was I learned about her and it taught me about myself. Mm-hmm. So same with the no bad dogs i'm capable of bad i've done bad but i'm not all in all a bad person yeah like but i'm in the right situations or or people with the right substances uh, you know sure there we can or or even like people who are against hunting um that's that's a natural we're animals too that's a natural uh thing but then it's looked at as bad quote unquote bad but same for dogs they are hunters they're they're uh a, what is predators and so are humans the top predator and mm-hmm. so but we don't look at that with us as often and definitely not with dogs which which it's more clear as day that they're predators and hunters Mm -hmm. more so more great some breeds more so than others but um it uh that's the one thing i think i i'm so passionate about it because it's the one thing that helped me the most because i thought i'm i don't know i used to have more everything is rainbows and butterflies i should never feel stressed i should never i should never be bad and if i do one bad thing i'm 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 crazy Everybody else is better, but that's not, it's just part of it. And it's part of dogs too. Uh, and yeah. Yep.
0: I I completely get it. And I think that was a great, I think that was a great answer to that. Mm -hmm. Um, hell yeah. I mean, this has been awesome. Josh, do you have any questions or anything? No, remember last week when I said you should think of some questions for this podcast. I know, but <laughs> <laughs> you nailed everything, man. I, I'm you good. did a great job today, yeah. co-podcaster. Yeah, that's right. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Yeah, I, I'm usually just the the guy that kind of gives the 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 poor man's terms, you know, like he'll get into the science of dog training and I'm like, "Oh, he means kind of like this, you know?" <laughs> That's
1: me. That's me.
0: Yeah.
1: That's hell totally yeah. me. Awesome. I don't have the most uh, I always say that I wish my dictionary was better. <laughs> <My>
0: <laughs> dictionary. Don't have a good dictionary. <laughs> Trust me, I got I got to stand I got to yeah. sit from across this guy and he's saying all these terms I'm just like, uh, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. He speaks uh, very well. He speaks very well.
0: Hell yeah. Cool. Well, listen, Whitney, I really appreciate you coming on. This has been awesome. Um, we'll definitely have to do it again sometime. Um, glad to finally speak with you. Anything uh, you yeah, want to leave here, for the people? Here. Where? So obviously, um, you know, you said TikTok, Instagram, stuff like that have been big for you. Are those the channels typically you have people go search for your stuff?
1: Um, yeah, I just... Sage's Way Dog Training, Sage with an I. I don't know why I did that because now anybody who goes to search it, they search it wrong. Yeah. I had to be creative with her name. Uh, Sage's Way Dog Training on Instagram and Facebook. And then my TikTok is actually Outbound Dogs. Outbound I I actually made it as an alias to uh, escape um, my social medias where people know me and just go and do fun yeah. stuff. And then... It turned different, but, uh, <laughs> so people found me and then, uh, but yeah, so that one's called outbound dogs. I hope to, I always, I've seen this for two years now. I hope to get active on lengthier things on YouTube, but uh, there's nothing there.
0: Well, there's
1: a page, but there's yeah. nothing
0: there. People like what you're posting now. I, I hope to see some blogs in the future. I think that I think that would be awesome for you to start getting into. And it definitely sounds like you uh you have a passion for writing and stuff like that. So I I think we all would definitely dig some of that stuff. So mm-hmm.
1: appreciate that. Yeah, this has been a cool talk. Thank you for yeah. having
0: me. Of course, we'll talk to you soon. Yep. All right, that's it. That was great. See you guys (laughs) next time.
1: (laughs) Bye.